Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuckers Bryant. Thank you. And Jerry, of course. Hi, Jerry. She's waving at The us. omnipresent Jerry. And omniscient, scarily enough. Josh, before we get going, can I uh, just mention a little TV show coming up? I thought we were already going. No, we're not quite going. Oh, okay. There's a TV show that our uh, parent company, Discovery, specifically the Science Channel, has about a great fall tradition in Delaware where they chunk pumpkins. Pumpkin chunking. Pumpkin chunking. And sure. they actually hurl these things through the air with a catapult. Mm-hmm. And it's fun, and they've done a TV show on it, and it's on... They did two TV shows, buddy. Two. Yeah. Say say the names. Uh, well, uh, at 8 o'clock on the Science Channel, it's Eastern Time, there's going to be The Road to Pumpkin Chunkin'. And where does that road lead? To Pumpkin Chunkin' itself. Yes. At 9. And that is Thanksgiving night on the Science Channel and Science Channel HD. Yes. And we just wanted to say, uh, watch it. Yeah. Because we like Chunkin' Pumpkins. Pumpkin Chunkin'. And now we're going to talk about... Whatever you're going to cleverly set it up as. All right, you ready? Yes. Hey, Chuck. Hey, Josh. <laughs> have you uh, have you ever uh, heard the phrase, the low man on the totem pole? I have, and you know what? Go ahead. So Let's it's usually to, it's it's usually somebody who's the grunt. They're at the bottom. They're, they're just... It's, they're, a, it's us. Okay, there you go. Low man on the totem pole. Uh-huh. Not true if you're suggesting that you and I are at the bottom of the heap. True. I, I had I'm no so idea. Confused I know. Right <laughs> the, I know what you mean. It's actually on totem poles. The lower uh, carvings were actually of the most high esteem. Right. Had uh, no idea. It, uh, you do now, and, and I do too, because we read an article called "How Totem Poles Work." By the way, I think we should start using the correct version of that just to confuse people. Like get on the elevator and like, how's work? Oh, well, you know, I'm the low man on the totem pole. They're like, sorry. And you're like, what are you talking about? I'm the VP. Right, yeah. Things are great. Right. Or when one of the higher ups walks by, go, there goes the low man on the totem pole. <laughs> right. Exactly. Give me some skin. What happened? Did they get fired? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, okay. Well, Chuck and I are going to start confusing people after this, but let's talk about totem poles first. Okay, let's do. I learned a lot of stuff in this one that I didn't know. Everything I read in here I learned because I knew nothing about totem poles. Really? Have you ever seen one? Well, I've seen them, but I didn't know anything aside from, you know, it's a poll. All right. Well, let's talk about Let's share this information that we've we've learned. Let's impart it. So uh, one of the things I, I learned, besides low man on the totem pole being actually important, um, is that the uh, the natives, Native Americans, actually had socioeconomic strata. Yeah. Stratum. I didn't know that either. Strata. <laughs> one of the two. Yes. Yeah. They did, and uh, I know what you're talking about here because totem poles were uh, typically commissioned by people of esteem and people that had money. Right, people who wanted to show off, basically. Uh-huh. Uh And what they would do would be to commission uh, a uh, a totem carver. Yes. Who was a person of very high authority. Yes. A low man on the totem pole, one might say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the head carver uh, would basically be treated with uh, tons of esteem and respect. Uh-huh. Uh, and was housed at the home of the person who had commissioned the they totem pole. They live with them. Yeah. And basically were treated like royalty because I guess this guy could be like, once you've commissioned this, right. I'm going to do it. 
and if you mistreat me or I am not amused at any point sure. in time, I'm going to carve you naked on this, and you have to put it up. Yeah, I got because this. Because that, that is the law <laughs> of the Pacific Northwest. I got this from this that totem pole uh, carvers were like many temperamental artists. It's kind of funny how they mm-hmm. had that same attitude. Like It's cross-cultural. If you don't make me happy, I'm going to ruin your commission work and shame you. Right. With a shame pole. Right. Well, we're not we'll, necessarily we'll get to that later. Yeah. Oh, Chuck just foreshadowed. Spoiler! <laughs> so, um, the, the other thing I learned is that, um, I'm just going to introduce every point with that for, okay. for this whole podcast. <laughs> Another thing I learned is that, um, totem poles haven't been around that long. No, I, I did not know that either. And I will say that at the end of every time you mention that, that I didn't realize <laughs> okay. it. They have, uh, just started in the 1700s. Late 1700s, so And the, when the Europeans came over is when they really, really started booming. They think the uh, Haida tribe, H-A-I-D-A tribe of southeastern uh, Alaska, uh-huh. were the first to start carving totem poles. And I guess it was kind of slow going at first, but really picked up mm-hmm. once um, the settlers, colonists, started hitting the Pacific Northwest right. uh, in more and more fr- numbers because they brought with them tools. Yeah, but they were a little frightened by them. They were, which is funny, yes. because from what I understand, um, European settlers were among the uh, most superstitious, easily frightened, and most suspicious people ever to populate the <laughs> earth. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, so they saw t- uh, totem poles, and I think Captain James Cook had a famous quote, right? Yeah, he said that they were truly monstrous figures. Yes, and he was wrong. Um, and then you also have the superstition or myth that totem poles were used to ward off or worship evil spirits, depending on how you felt toward your native neighbors. Not true. No. So what is a totem pole, Chuck? Well, a totem pole... Uh, and totem, by the way, is an Ojibwa word. Is it really? Huh? Josh actually winked at me, by the way, just then, for real. <laughs> uh, a totem pole, Josh, many times is used to commemorate uh, an event. Like, um, I looked some of these up, what it might commemorate. A, uh, a funeral sometimes, uh, childbirth. Marriage and even monarchy. No. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. I read that. That is true. And uh, they could range in size initially, and I didn't know this either. They could be as small as like a walking cane. Yeah. Way smaller than I thought. I thought they were they were all like extremely large. No, they definitely vary in size. I've seen some that are like knee high to a grasshopper, sure. as you like to say, and then there's others that are you know 170 feet tall. Right. Which we'll get into the world records here shortly too, and not just any no no jackass can come along and carve some wood up and say I just made me a totem pole. There are some very specific yeah um, I guess details that have to be followed for a totem pole to truly be considered a totem pole. Yeah, to be authentic, Josh, it needs to be uh, the work of a trained Pacific Coast carver, Pacific Northwest, Pacific Northwest, even more specific. And uh, yeah, no San Diego carvers up there. <laughs> Forget them. Uh, it must be raised according to the specific uh, American Indian traditions and ceremonies. There's a ceremony that goes along with it, right? which we'll get to. And it must be blessed by uh, natives of the Northwest Pacific Coast. Plus, also, it doesn't hurt your case if you want to prove that you have a an authentic totem pole, that it be made from red or yellow cedar. Ah, uh, well, sure. You can't, use ch- you can't use power tools or chainsaws. Well, they do now, but... If you really if you want do, to be you didn't. You just wasted your time if you were trying to make an authentic totem pole. Right. Um, and there are certain colors that are traditionally followed, red, black, yellow, blue, green, white, um, which I find to be an unappealing color combination, those, those four or five. Yeah, you know, it said they did not need to be painted, and I've never seen a natural totem pole, but I mm-hmm. think that would be my preference. 
uh, yes, and you can't preserve it in any way. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Which means that totem poles ain't going to be around all that long. An authentic totem pole has a lifespan of about 100 years. Right. Especially in the Pacific Northwest where it's wet, rainy, muggy, yeah, not good on, on carved wood. Yeah, that's not bad though. 100 years is pretty good. And did I also say it has to be from one single piece? Oh, no, you didn't say that. It's important too. Yeah, of course. Okay, so Chuck, basically we've established that uh, totem poles are there's authentic and there's inauthentic mm-hmm. ones. You can't just be some jackass with a chainsaw. Right. Um, they are the bar or bat mitzvah of the um, Native American culture. Sure, with the ceremony and the... Uh, sure. And um, that they are commissioned usually by a wealthy Native American by a head carver. Right. So you've got the head carver. He's got a couple of junior carvers and they get to work. Right. And here we reach why the low man on the totem pole is actually the most prominent figure. I know why. Why? Because the head carver carves the lower parts of the totem pole. Yep, the first 10 feet. And I would say, and this is just a guess, but I would say probably because they don't want to stand on whatever you need to stand on. That's part of it. It's also That's also the most visible and scrutinizable. Sure. Yeah, yeah, good point. Okay, so the carver finishes, and, and probably some of the stuff that he's put on there, there's some... Uh, Basically, uh, he'll say, tell me about your family history. Yeah, yeah. What kind of birds are you fond of? Right. Do you have any ancestor who has ever shapeshifted into an animal? Right. And the the carver's going to take all this into account. The person who commissioned it will probably have some ideas. And then they combine them, and you have things like uh, eagles, Mm -hmm. thunderbirds, bears, owls, wolves, ravens, frogs. And each one kind of has a different meaning in Native American culture. Sure. Should we go over those briefly? Sure. Uh, well, the eagle obviously uh, flies higher than any other bird. It's high. And it can spot trouble, so that's a good thing. Sure. And um, the thunderbird is a mythological creature, and it can create lightning and thunder by beating its wings and uh, blinking. Which is why it's mythological. Yes. <laughs> uh, bear obviously teaches natives uh, certain things like um, how to hunt salmon and how to forage for berries, so that's probably good luck to have on your pole. Mm-hmm. Um, owls are uh, represent souls of the deceased, so that might be a mortuary pole. Oh, actually, no, that is when the ashes are actually in the pole, correct? Right, that's a type of pole. There's a uh, there's a um, entryway totem pole, right, which is kind of like a coat of arms, uh-huh. um, and that's what that's what a lot of the uh, early settlers of the Pacific Northwest took these as is a coat of arms, like right. a family coat of arms. Um, so you've got entryway totem poles, mortuary poles. Which actually do have a hollow cavity to put the ashes of a dead person in. Yeah, it's like an urn, basically. Yeah, a very cool urn. A very tall urn. Uh, and then there's ridicule or shame poles, like you mentioned, right? That's what I, I want to bring back the shame pole. Okay, so Chuck, talk about the most famous one, the Lincoln Pole in Saxman, Alaska. Yeah, this is when, um, and I didn't know this either. This is a chock Here's full another of thing I learned. <laughs> Native Americans had slaves. The, the, the Lincoln Pole was actually uh, to shame the U.S. government. Because of the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, mm-hmm. and many members of the, uh, was that Lingit? Is that how it's pronounced? The Lingit tribe? Lingit. <laughs> I think the T might be silent. Oh, okay. But uh, their their slaves were freed. I didn't know that Native Americans had slaves. I know. That's what I just said. Neither did I. And so they got all mad and said, you know what? We're going to do a Lincoln poll, and it's going to shame President Lincoln for the Emancipation Proclamation. Actually, that's not true. I guess I did know. That they would capture other people in battle and force them into slavery. I didn't know that. Okay, so Chuck, we've got the type of pole established. Right. What We know what's on the pole, and it has to be raised now. Well, this is when the fun starts. Yeah, the rowdy fun. Yeah, we're talking uh, about the potlatch. 
And a potlatch is basically a big whopping party. Yeah. That you uh, you raise the pole, obviously you put it near the ground, and you have the ropes, and you pull it up and sink it into the ground. Right. And then it's it sounds like from what I uh, research on potlatches, it's just a big friggin' party. So now we've reached a uh, the Native American equivalent of a bat mitzvah and an Amish barn raising put together. Oh, did they do the same thing? Well, the Amish raised barns is a big communal event. Have you ever seen Witness? Uh, yeah, but did they have a big party? Yeah. Well, uh, an Amish party. Yeah. Everyone eats sandwiches and drinks lemonade. Woohoo! Sure. <laughs> and the reason we can get away with that is because no Amish person will ever hear this podcast. That's right. And if you write in and say you're offended because you're Amish, then you are a liar. Liar. <laughs> All right. So, Chuck, um, they have a great party, and apparently it does get rowdy, as I alluded to before, because the Canadian government actually banned potlatches. I know. At some point in time. Um, and they... That, that had a really deleterious effect on the number of totem poles that sure. were carved and raised in North America yeah. in the in the 20th century. Because a totem pole without a potlatch is like a donut without a hole. Very much so. It's like a jelly donut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's not the only reason that, that uh, totem pole carving declined in the 20th century. And actually, it came close, very close to the point of extinction. Um, the uh, Native American children were not being educated in traditional means any longer, right. or in the traditional ways. Yeah, sure. Um, so they were losing that knowledge of how to carve a decent Thunderbird. There right. weren't a lot of head carvers that were being trained any sure. longer. Um, Atari. Atari <laughs> is a huge, is generally pointed to yeah. as one of the biggest reasons that total pole raisings declined. Um, and there was also a ton of theft by museums and uh, private people. I didn't hear about We'd that. We just go steal totem poles for their own collections. It's, how do you hide a totem pole? I don't think you really try to. You just say, you've been exploited by my people a really long gotcha. time. I'll just take this and get away with it. Gotcha. <laughs> it was so rampant, in fact, that in 1990, President George H.W. Bush. That's Herbert one, Walker. Yeah, Herbert. Right. Bush uh, signed the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, and it basically said, if you've ever stolen a totem pole, take it back. Right. And people did. And as a result of this kind of uh, renewed enthusiasm mm-hmm. for totem poles, uh, we lost our puritanical fear of them. Right. Uh, people started carving them again. You know what else is in that bill? What? Wiretappings. I'll bet. <laughs> yeah. like they try to sneak wiretappings Take wire totem poles in. back and talk openly on your phones. Right. Um so, okay, so there's a resurgence in totem pole creation, right? Yes, indeed. In native and non-native, right. So let's say, Chuck, I'm like, I want an authentic totem pole to talk about my daughter's monarchy. Well, then, uh, like anything else, Josh, you would get on the Internet and search totem pole carving, and you would find some people that do that for a living. Right, some native and some non-native. Yeah, depending on So if I wanted an authentic one, how much am I going to shell out? Josh, you would have to pay about uh, twenty-five grand to a hundred grand for Outs- authentic. Outrageous! Yes, <laughs> I won't pay more than ten thousand dollars for that totem pole. <laughs> you saw a charlatan, monarchy or no monarchy? <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's and I think um, like seven hundred and fifty bucks is the low end of a non-authentic three-foot pole. Right, and about fifteen grand for a twenty-footer. Right, non-authentic. Non-authentic. Right. Right. But, you know, who knows? No one knows. Yeah. Josh, you want to talk about the records? Yes. This is stat-heavy, Chuck. Stat-heavy. Each Everything yeah. that comes out of Chuck's mouth right now is a statistic. Right, so Chuck? Richard in South Korea, good luck here, buddy. Um, Albert Bay, British Columbia, had a uh, or has a 170-foot-tall 
173 foot tall totem. It's got to be the world's tallest totem pole, right? <laughs> no. Think again, sir. Oh. Because uh, there was one that the Guinness Book certified at 185 feet. It's got to uh, be the world's tallest totem pole. In then. Victoria, British Columbia. But you know what? It was torn down because of controversy. The town evidently got really upset about all the grief about the Guinness Book record, and was it authentic, yeah. and was it the really the tallest one? Yeah. So an angry mob, <laughs> from what I gather, mm-hmm. led by uh, Moda Batinda, <laughs> tear down this totem pole and cut it up into pieces and burn it. Yeah. The the record holder. There goes the uh, grief. I mean, how much grief could it have caused? Really? I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be. Um, I've been to Victoria. It's not exactly like a rough and tumble town. It's pretty peaceful. Um, so I imagine there must have been a tremendous amount of grief. I guess so. Or they hadn't put their chainsaws to use lately and were looking, you know, Betty was hungry. Right. <laughs> but uh, the thickest pole, Josh, is not disputed. That no. is uh, in British Columbia as well. And that was carved by Richard Hunt in 1988, and it has a diameter of six feet. Yeah. That is one thick pole. Yeah. And I'd like to uh, say, Richard Hunt, if you listen to this podcast, I would like to see a picture of your totem pole. Yeah, seriously. So email it to us. I couldn't us. find a picture of it. We'll give the uh, email address uh, at the end right now. Is that the end? I think so. You got any more on totem poles? I got nothing else. I like the ones with the wings. I'll just say that. I do. I, like at the top. If there's an, yeah, like a Thunderbird with the wings coming off the side. I mean, it I like makes those. sense to have them at the top, but that's the least important. So, huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, if you want to know more about totem poles, and I kid you not, Chuck and I learned a lot of surprising facts that were just kind of in between the lines of this article. It happens a lot uh, on HowStuffWorks.com. You can type totem poles into the handy search bar of our venerated site. And uh, I guess it's time for listener mail, right? Yes, Josh? I'm just going to call this, uh, I like to read these... um funny emails from time to time okay this guy's really funny he's a good writer he's clever so he gets on the air this is uh this says hey guys i've been traveling backwards in time and i'm writing you from february 2009 where haiku theater ends abruptly with refrigerator and sayings like the germans compass head and it's a poncy scheme haven't even been uttered yet (laughs) by some strange quirk when i load your podcast into my ipod they play back in reverse chronological order giving me side effects like hearing listener mail for episodes that haven't even mentioned or haven't happened yet. Weird. However, unless I start tattooing myself like the guy Memento, <laughs> I'll probably just keep things the same as it makes listening even more fun. And we've heard this before, mm-hmm. that people listen out of order and they like that better. Yeah. I'm no stranger to self-imposed odd circumstance. For instance, I purposely use my mouse left-handed even though I'm right-handed. I sometimes reason things out while I'm dreaming. I often balance on one leg while brushing my teeth. I like this guy. <laughs> I learn to read things upside down. And he has also run into some groovy things, like when I was in the Army, I knew a guy who saw things upside down and backwards, and he learned to cope by writing things upside down and forwards. Or I guess right side up. Oh, no, upside down. Right side up. I once dated a girl whose mother would eat the same thing for every meal for a period of time. Two weeks of hard-boiled eggs for every meal, black licorice for three days straight, etc. <laughs> and I once worked with a guy who uh, owned a car that wouldn't make left-hand turns. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite dude. Uh, and basically, he's leading up to a request. All of this makes me wonder if you should do a podcast on something like How Living Strangely Works. 
an explanation of odd things that people choose to do, which may or may not actually provide tangible benefit to their lives. Hmm. We'll, get, we'll get Fuller to pitch it. Maybe so. So uh, that is from Michael Mick. You're not going to say my last name on the air anyway. Kraken from Colorado. Nice. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. Very funny. Yeah. If you have a funny email you'd like to send Chuck and I, they're our favorite. You can send it to, oh, wait, or if your name is Richard Hunt and you've created the world's thickest totem pole, you can send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?